Well, Merry Christmas. We can say that, right? I mean, it's December. We kind of turned the corner. I hope you guys are, are doing well. And I know uh, as you came into the building this weekend at whatever campus you might be joining us from, it was decorated in Christmas. And uh, my home these days is definitely uh, full of Christmas music where, you know, Lisa, as soon as she gets up, she's turning it on. And I don't know about you, but one of my favorite albums this year is the Christmas Collective 2 Seacoast album. It's pretty awesome. In fact, I brought one with me, and if you're at a campus right now, I, I may try to throw it through the camera, but probably give it to somebody, but who doesn't have it? Anybody doesn't have it here? All right, I saw that hand right over there. We reward front row people, so look out, it's coming your way. Let's see if I can, oh! oh. Uh, clean up on aisle four, we, yeah. But we're glad you guys are here, uh, excited to be here. I do wanna welcome you if you're at one of our campuses, Somerville, North Charleston, West Ashley, wherever you happen to be, we're glad that you are here as well as those of you that are joining us online. As we get started today, I have a question for you. And just honesty is best in church, always the best policy. How many of you have ever re-gifted something? You've, okay, a lot of people. Look around, if a hand's up, just be cautious if you get something from them. You never know <laughs> if it was legit. You guys are familiar with re-gifting. Uh, it's actually a, a concept that has only been around for about 20, 20 years or so. It's a, a relatively new concept, at least the phrase that we use. But you get a gift and you, you open it, let's say somebody, somebody hooks, hooks you up with a gift and you open it and you get to the, to the box and you open it up and what you say is, wow, thank you so much, that is amazing. But on the inside you're thinking, why didn't you just give me the 20 bucks? Like, I ha what, what am I gonna do with this, right? And, and there are all kinds of reasons that we re-gift. Sometimes like, you got candles, a uh, popular re-gifting item. Candles are not bad, but like for me, this is Bayberry apple spice. It's just not my scent, you know? And, and so, so you re-gift that to somebody. Maybe it's clothing and it just doesn't work. Like if somebody would give you like the scarf here, which is really not a bad scarf, but it just doesn't match my outfit. It doesn't go with my style. So you, you re-gift it. Uh, all kinds of different, different reasons why we do it. But did you know I was researching... Uh, Deep, deeply in Wikipedia on the, the origins of this term, and it actually came uh, from the great theologian Jerry Seinfeld. Take a look, this is where it started. Hey, I'd like to go to the Super Bowl. What, are you kidding? Here, two tickets, have a good time. Tim, you didn't have to get me a thank you gift. I know, it's a label maker. Oh, is that a label maker? Yes, it is. I got it as a gift. It's a label baby junior. You know, those things make great gifts. I just got one of those for Tim Watley for Christmas. Tim Watley? Yeah. Who sent you that one? One Tim Watley. No. My Tim Watley? The same. He sent it as a thank you for my Super Bowl ticket. He recycled this gift. He's a re-gifter. Are you even vaguely familiar with the concept of giving? Didn't he re-gift the label maker? Possibly. Well, if he can re-gift... Why can't you de-gift? Well, here, take Watley's label maker. I don't want to see it again. Is this a label maker? I just came by to pick up my label maker. Uh, okay. You don't have the label maker, do you? Uh, no. I knew it! You're a re-gifter! So be careful, it can get messy. You know, you start re-gifting, and uh, I love Seinfeld. I wish they still... But, but, but so re-gifting. Now here's, here's what we're gonna talk about during this series. We're in a series, brand new series, month of December, that we're calling Regift. And uh, here, here's what I would ask you. We all know what it's like to re-gift something because we don't have a use for it or because we have multiple or whatever. But what if I told you that the best gift that you got this year, I mean, think about that. What's the best gift 
that you could possibly get this year. If you're a child, I'll tell you what it is because I did a little research. It's a Hatchimal. Have you seen these things? This is ridiculous. It's like an egg that you nurture, you like carry it around with you, and then eventually it's just gonna open up and, and hatch. Uh, and so my kids wanted one of these, and so I looked them up online. Right now, they're going for like 250 bucks each. They're not gonna get one. So just, you know. But, but this, let's, let's say you got a Hatchimal, or maybe if, if you're a little bit older like me, uh, I mean, look at these, these are beautiful. These noise-canceling headphones, bows, just, uh, I mean, you get like the thing that you want. Let's just say that you, you receive that. Last year, the hottest gift was this hoverboard, right? Till they started like catching on fire. I think they had battery issues, but we were opening gifts last year and uh, one of our neighbor, neighbor kids ran up to the door and he was so excited. He got one of these hoverboards for Christmas last year. And so we all go down and we're checking it out. They're amazing. You know hands and you're kind of moving around and doing these 360s. And I was like, can I, can I take a spin on it? And he's like, no, you can't. No, nobody will ever ride this other than me. And I understand that. It's a, it was a great gift. But what if I told you that the, the gift that you want, that this year you had to re-gift that one? What if I told you that? Like, ooh, it's getting quiet in here. I don't wanna do that. What are you talking about? Well, here's, here's what I would propose to you. That the idea of re-gifting actually isn't only 20 years old. It's, it's actually a concept that's been around for a long, long time. There are actually some gifts that Jesus came, when he, when he came as a baby, he brought some gifts, and as he gives them to us, they're never really fully received until they're given away. We'll never fully experience the goodness of some of the gifts that God gives us until we, we re-gift them to somebody else. In fact, look at this uh, first verse. This is Jesus. This is where I would argue that the concept of re-gifting started. You have received much, now give much. And he was talking to his disciples. They were actually getting ready to do a field trip. They were ready to go, go out, group of 72 of them, go out two by two uh, to do ministry. And he said, hey, we've journeyed together for a while and, and what you have received from me, I want you to go out and give it away. So if you've received healing from me, I want you to go out and heal other people. If you've been blessed, I want you to go out and, and be a blessing to others. If you've been given to, go out and give, re-gift what I've given to you into the lives of other people. That's this idea of re-gifting. And so we're gonna do a little field trip of our own. We're, we're gonna treat the month of December like, like an experiment. Well, like we've been given orders that say, hey, you've been given much, I want you to go out and, and re-gift it. And we're gonna take a journey together and we're gonna just try to re-gift some things that God has given us into our community and into the people around me, around us. We're gonna look at various gifts that, that Jesus gave us. We're gonna talk about re-gifting joy and re-gifting love. This weekend, I want us to talk about re-gifting hope. Re-gifting hope. Would you agree that hope is a pretty powerful motivator? Think about it for a minute. Have you ever hoped to go on a date with somebody? Like you'll clean up, you'll get yourself in the right position, you'll do, you'll do whatever it takes to potentially get there. If there's a little bit of hope, if there's a chance, then it'll cause you to do some pretty incredible things. There's a great quote by an evangelist named Hal Lindsey. He said, man can live about 40 days without food, not this man, by the way, I don't know who he's talking about, but apparently you can, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. You can't get very far without hope, without this, this belief, this, this 
hope that things can get better, that, that we, can, we can improve, or that, that we can get what we were hoping to receive. Hope can cause us to do some crazy things. Hope can help us persevere through some difficult times as long as we've got hope. You know, as a, a Chicago Cubs fan, I'm very, very familiar with this concept of hope. Uh, we've been hopeful for a long time. Did, did you know that the last time the Chicago Cubs won the World Series prior to this year was 1908? How many of you remember what you were doing in 1908? <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a long time. And so every season as a Cubs fan, I grew up north of Chicago, I grew up watching the Cubs on WGN and just a big fan, so every season began the same with hope. This is gonna be our year, we can do it this year. And, and this year it was the same, we had hope, and, but with every victory you realize, man, these guys are actually good, we could do it this year. And so my brother and I have had a, a pact, uh, those lifelong Cubs fans, that if the Cubs ever make it to the World Series, we are gonna do whatever it takes to go. And, and so sure enough, this year, for the first time since 1947, I think, they, they make it to the World Series, 71 years. And, and so we were like, let's do it. Well, the problem is that so did about 25 million other Cubs fans around the states, made the same pact. And so as soon as the tickets went on sale, they just, I mean, they, they sold out and then the, the aftermarket sales were insane. I mean, they, were, they, they said that the ticket prices to the World Series games this year were, were more than they had been for the Super Bowl in the last several years. And so just a crazy ticket, thousands of dollars, couldn't do it. And so, of course, I, I gave up hope. I said, it's just not gonna happen. It's all right, we'll watch it on TV. Well, my brother kept badgering me and badgering me. Come on, let's just do it. Let's just, let, we can't buy the tickets. That was never in question, but let's just go to Chicago. Let's get around the stadium and we'll do our part and see if God does his part, right? I mean, let's just, let's just go. Who knows? Somebody might drop a ticket. You know, what, anything could happen. No, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. Too expensive. It's crazy. And so I'm watching game two of the World Series. It was in Cleveland, the first two games, and the Cubs we're winning that game so that the series was gonna be tied and it was get ready to go back to Chicago for the first game in 70 some years, the first World Series game at Wrigley Field. And it's about the 10 o'clock at night uh, later in, in the game and my wife looks at me and she says, Josh, how much are you gonna regret it if you don't try, if you don't at least try to make this happen? And I was like, I love you. I am so <laughs> glad. She's amazing. And she, she said, you guys should just just go, just go be around the stadium. We had Sky Miles, that was back when uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, before he told us we couldn't use the credit card and pay it off every month, so I had all these Sky Miles. I won't for long, but I, I do now. And so I didn't even call Jason, because he'd been bugging me, I knew he was available. And so I just booked us both tickets. It cost me like 20 bucks to book both of us tickets to Chicago. So I called him at 10.30, and I said, Jason, I got his flights, you work on a place to stay, and uh, I'll pick you up at five o'clock tomorrow morning. We're going to the airport. And so like, we just did it. We just, you know what, let's go. Let's see what happens. So the morning of the game, we decided to go for a run. And Jason wanted to go run down on Lake Michigan. And it's like, no, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna go run around Wrigley Field seven times. Okay, we're, uh, we are on mission. Some of you know your Bible well enough to know. So we get up, it's like six o'clock in the morning, we're running, we get down to Wrigley Field and we're circling this stadium and I notice there's a line of people standing not far from the ticket box office. So I'm like, that is weird at 6.45 and I mean, there's no way you get tickets. These tickets were sold out for a long time and so I go up to the person, the last person in line and I'm like, hey, what are y'all standing in line for? Nothing. So, oh, cool. I'd like to do nothing too. And so I, I got in the line, I just had a feeling. 
And what happened in that moment was just a flash of hope. Like, oh my gosh, this could, what if, what if this is a line of people and they're gonna actually sell to, I don't know, I know, it's crazy, but, but I stood in line. And so we just got in line. And, and we stood in line for a while, about 30 minutes to an hour, and people started to tell us the deal. And every playoff game up to that point, on the day of the game, the Cubs released sometime during that day a handful of tickets that people could buy. You can't find, I'm, I'm looking online, I'm like, it's not on the internet, how can it be true if it's not on the internet? <laughs> no, so, so we're like, well, I don't know if they're telling the truth, but it seems that there's a possibility that some people could get tickets. And so I asked them how many tickets had been sold at prior games, and like sometimes it was like 50, and sometimes it was like 500, so who knows? But you can buy two tickets a piece. So we counted in line, there were 223 people in line ahead of us, two tickets a piece, that's 446 is where we were. And so, in the words of the great theologian, Jim Carrey, so you're telling me there's a chance, <laughs> right? I mean, there's a chance. So we, we planted ourselves in that line, and, um, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. Now, here's what I noticed. Throughout the day, ended up, we waited about 12 hours in this line, and so, crazy, I know. But, but throughout the day, some people would end up leaving line. They gave up hope. We held out on hope. We hoped that we might be able to get in. Some people gave up hope throughout the day. And so, I wanna talk about some of the reasons that people lost hope. And of course, I'll be talking about the Cubs game, but you may be able to to make some application for some other areas of your life. But the first was circumstances. Circumstances. It was about 40 degrees in Chicago in November, and the wind coming off of Lake Michigan was crazy cold. So it felt colder than that. And I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt. And I had run just long enough to get sweaty, and then I stopped to get in this line. And so it was cold, like freezing cold, shivering cold. And so, uh, you know, my back's hurting and I'm shaking. And, but, but some people, uh, after a while, they just quit because of the cold, the circumstance. They got out of line. They were like, I just can't do this anymore. There were other circumstances for us. There was a knife fight that happened about 10 people in front of us. <laughs> Apparently, somebody decided to cut in line. Like, you don't cut in Chicago or you get cut. Like, that's just the deal. <clears throat> And, and so, like, it was crazy. There, were, there, was, there was dangerous and just circumstances. Some people were like, I'm out. I, I, I'm getting out of line. Of course, I was fine with that because that meant it was a better chance that I was gonna get in. But then there were, there were voices. Voices can sometimes cause us to lose hope. You know, as the day, kind of the sun came up and people were, uh, there were thousands of people all around Wrigley Field. And so often people would stop and say, what are y'all standing in line for? And we would say, well, you know, there's an outside chance that they might sell some tickets today to the game. And people were just vicious. Like, you idiots, are you, you seriously think that you're gonna get tickets? Did you know that these things are selling for three, $4,000 a piece? Like, y'all are crazy, you're not gonna get tickets, you're not gonna get tickets, you're not gonna get tickets. So finally, we just started telling what I would consider holy lies. Uh, people would say, what are y'all in line for? I'm part of the band, we're doing the halftime show. <laughs> there is no halftime in baseball for those of y'all that don't follow the sport. And so we just, you know, we just started making stuff up. But because people were like, you're not gonna get them. The security guard, who I'm sure was very inconvenient so that we had created this line, was like, I don't know how many, how many ways I can tell you this. You're not going to this game. You will not get tickets into the game. And it was discouraging. And so people would, would, would leave the line and give up hope. Sometimes it was our own voices. I know there was one uh, couple that was about two people behind us, and you just heard it start to play out. It was about midday, and they start talking. They're like, you know, what if we don't get in? If we don't get in, then you know, we're, we're, we're gonna have to get on the train. We're gonna miss part of the game. And, and they just began to talk themselves out of, of hope. And eventually, they walked away and left the line. 
Voices can cause people to lose hope. Fatigue, I mean, just straight up tired. After a long day, your feet are hurting, your back's hurting. We had chairs for a while, like some people brought like, you know, chairs that they sat in, but the cops made us get rid of the chairs because they were causing a, uh, cr- crowds on the, on the sidewalks and all this stuff. And so you're just tired, man. Your, your desire to, to go, your hope that you might get to go, finally gave way to just physical exhaustion. And some of you may, may relate to that uh, in, in other areas of your life, but you just get tired, fatigue. And then, you know, for me, the hardest was doubt. You have these voices inside, you know, saying it's not gonna happen. And, and especially, so we waited in line for like 11 hours. Now it's six o'clock, game starts at 7.10. Nobody's moved. Not a single ticket has been sold. It's six o'clock in the afternoon. They haven't done it. And so, I mean, you're, you're starting to go, man, have I just wasted my entire day? Have I just, is it gonna happen? Then the, the PA system comes on in, in, inside the field. And so you're hearing you know, the, the songs and God Bless America, and you're hearing them announce special guests, and you've got their, your um, uh, the guy thrown out the first pitch. And so you're just, you're hearing all of this excitement going on, and it's like the doubt starts to seep in, and this isn't gonna happen for us. We've waited all this time, and a lot of people walked out of line during that last hour. Well, about 15, 20 minutes before the game starts, all of a sudden, they start to sell some tickets. You know, and so people, the line starts to move just a little bit, and it's moving a little bit more, and people are, maybe this is gonna happen, and so we're getting excited, and then the, the game starts, so the first pitch is thrown, and, and, and I'm about five people from where they start, they're giving wristbands out, basically, and if you get a wristband, you go straight to the ticket box office, and so he looks up, and he says, we have five more wristbands to give out, and one, two, three, four, five, five, so I get a wristband, and I'm running to the box office. You'd have thought I just won, that my name got called on the prices right. I'm like, come on down, I got it! Woo! It was so exciting. I mean, we, we got tickets to the World Series. It was amazing. And, and check this out. Yes, let's clap. Come on, this is good. At face value, at face value. And, so, and they let us buy two each. So we had two extras. So Dave Ramsey would have been very proud. Small contribution to the Imagine campaign as well. But no, I'm just kidding. So, so we get in and like literally it was so amazing. And so not only did we get tickets into the game, we were hoping for standing room only. Like anywhere in, that's all we wanted. That was our seats. Seven rows up from home plate. I don't know if you can see that in Somerville, but these are good seats. These are really good seats. In fact, earlier in the day, those seats were selling for $20,000 a piece. The people who were sitting on our row with us, uh, I, I grew up in the 90s, and so I was a big fan of Pearl Jam growing up, don't judge me. Eddie Vedder sitting in the same row. Uh, I think it's, is it Billy Corgan or Brian Corgan, the Smashing Pumpkins lead singer, sitting in our row. Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, is sitting in the same section. It was like, we got the most amazing seats that we could have ever possibly imagined getting, and, and it, essentially didn't cost us anything. It was just amazing. Hope was fulfilled. It was the, the, one, of the, one of the most incredible nights that I've ever, ever had. So what does that have to do with regifting hope and Christmas and nothing? But I have a microphone and I wanted to tell you the story. It was awesome. <laughs> now, I, w- I wanna talk to you for just a couple minutes about what I learned <clears throat> about regifting hope 
from standing in a line at Wrigley Field. And then we'll, we'll pull in some of the Christmas story as well. Two, two thoughts for us, two simple thoughts. If we're gonna be the kind of people that, that re-gift hope into our communities, the first thing we have to do is make sure that we're standing in the right line. We have to make sure that we're standing in the right line. See, we stood in line for a ticket at a game. And, and let's just be honest, if at the end of the day, we didn't get the ticket, no big deal. You know, we were in Chicago, we would have found a way to enjoy ourselves and it was not that big of a deal. But there's some parallels in life, aren't there? What hope line are you standing in right now? What hope line are you standing in? Some of us, maybe it's related to a, a marriage. And th there was a time at the altar where you were so hopeful that things were gonna go amazing and we're not gonna be like the statistics and we're gonna be different. But, but right now, the circumstances of your marriage, it just doesn't feel all that hopeful right now. Could be in your health or in the health of somebody that you love. <clears throat> and you, you just, you wanna hope and you wanna believe that things are gonna get better, that healing is gonna come, but the latest report doesn't sound good and it's, it's hard to, to believe that it's gonna happen. Some of us, it's just our future. You, know, you read a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for well-being and not for trouble, to give you a future and a hope and, and you wanna believe that, that your name could be there? You wanna believe that that verse applies to you? But man, you're not sure. Uh, it, it kind of feels like your best days might be in the rearview mirror. You wanna believe and have hope for your future, but you just don't know. What are you hoping for today? You know, the Christmas story gives us a glimpse of another person who was standing in a line, who was waiting, who was hoping. It's a story of a guy named Simeon. It's in Luke chapter two. It's after Jesus was born. Eight days later, and I wanna share the story with you because I think we can, we can learn some things. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting. If you have an outline sheet, you may wanna circle that phrase, eagerly waiting. Do you, do you get the feeling there was hope? He was, he was hopeful for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. So that was his hope. And it was not unlike many other people who lived in that part of the world those days, that God's people, the Israelites, were waiting for a Messiah. The Bible had promised multiple times throughout the Old Testament that there was a Messiah that was gonna come. And he was eagerly waiting along with all of Israel, but he also had a personal hope that the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So, so I don't know how it happened if he was at a first Wednesday service, but, but he gets in, in this moment where the Holy Spirit comes on him and speaks to him and says, you're not gonna die until you personally are gonna see the Messiah. So not, not only was he hoping that the Messiah was gonna come, but he was believing and hoping that he would personally experience that himself. And so the Spirit led him to the temple, and when Mary, Joseph, Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, so this would be like a baby dedication. We do child dedications here at Seacoast. They were bringing the baby eight days after he was born into the temple. Simeon was there waiting. And he took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. Do, do you get the, the relief there? It's like I can die now. 
My hope, everything I've been, been hoping for has now happened. I, I, can, I can go in peace. Thank you for letting me see the Messiah. Salvation is here. And he's a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Notice he didn't just keep it for himself. He spoke it out and he encouraged Mary and Joseph. And then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. In other words, it's gonna be really hard to be neutral when it comes to, to this child. When it comes to Jesus, it's gonna cause so many people to find hope and to find life, but others, it's gonna cause them to fall. Saying this child, the Messiah, this is what my hope has been in. See, Simeon's hope was anchored in, in, in the Messiah. It was that he would one day see the Messiah, the savior of the world. And friends, at the end of the day, if our hope is anchored in anything else, we're gonna be disappointed. We're gonna be let down. If we don't learn from Simeon that our hope has to be in Jesus, the savior of the world, and the fact that God not only loved the world, but he became one of us. He came in the form of a baby, and ultimately he lived a sinless life and he died on a cross and he, he overcame death so that we could be free from sin, so that we could experience life. If our hope is in anything other than that, we're gonna find ourselves disappointed. You know, statistically, this time of year can bring the blues. Christmas, lots of studies have shown that depression goes through the roof and Suicide rates go up. December just brings with it. It's, it's a difficult time of the year. And I'm not gonna pretend like I've figured all of that out. But I can't help but wonder if it's not because some of us have misplaced our hope. If it sheds light on, on the fact that there's some things that we had hoped for that, that didn't come true. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 12. says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. He says, man, when you hope for something and it doesn't happen, it just, just makes you sick, makes you sad. And I, I can't help but wonder if some of us have placed our hope in maybe a relationship. You really hoped it would work out. And here you are and Christmas is coming and you kind of remember what last Christmas was like and the hope that you had, but, but it's, the hopes are dashed for that relationship. It's over. It's, it's not gonna happen for you. It makes your heart sick. Some of us have placed our hope in health, healing. Man, right now, it just doesn't look good. The difference between where you are today and where you were a year ago, it's like, man, the, the doctor's reports have been, have been bad. And so you're disappointed and your heart's sick. Some have put our hopes in the goals that we set at the beginning. You remember those? Should I not bring those up? You know, we had all this hope that this was gonna be the year that we were gonna lose that weight or that we were gonna hit those financial targets and it's like, man, it's, it's just not happened the way that we thought it was going to and so we're disappointed because now the, the year's coming to a close and we know that January's coming again and it's like, man, I don't even know if I wanna sit down and set goals because I feel like I've got to catch up from what I, what I, what I lost this year and it just brings about this, this disappointment. We've been standing in the wrong line. See, when our, our hope is anchored in anything other than Jesus, it's ultimately gonna disappoint us. 
The, the writer of Psalms 42 found himself in a similar situation. I don't know if it was December uh, when he wrote this or not, but, but look, what, look what he said. He said, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Then it's almost like he has an epiphany. I don't know what he was thinking about there. Maybe he had some family issues going on. Maybe he had uh, a battle that he was losing, but he was, he was down. It's like, he, it's like a light bulb went off, and he said, you know what? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna get back in the right line. I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus, refocus on my relationship with God. And, and, and he gets back into to that line. Are you feeling discouraged this Christmas season? Are you? Is it possible that it's because you put your hope in something that's not gonna hold? I, I love the way the writer of Hebrews describes hope in Christ. He says, we who have fled to him, him being Jesus, for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. A strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. That's a picture of what hope in Christ is. It's this confident assurance. And an anchor, if you know anything about boating, is it, the waves can get bad and the tides can be bad, but if you're anchored in something that will stand, then you're gonna ultimate, you're gonna withstand the storm. And it's not saying that things are always gonna go well or that we aren't gonna face trials. Obviously, we will. But having hope anchored in Christ, it's this, this strong endurance that says, you know what? I'm confident that things are gonna be okay. I'm confident that regardless of what my circumstances say or the voices around me or, or the fatigue or the doubts, I know that the future is gonna be okay. I can have confidence that God's promises are gonna come true because my faith is not in, 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 in the relationship or in the circumstance, my faith is in Christ. It's this confident assurance. That's the hope that carries you through loss. That's the hope that gives you faith to remain and to hold on to the promises of God. Are you in that line? Are you? Or have you put your, your hope in something else? I can't re-gift something that I haven't currently received or experienced. So the first thing I have to do is I have to make sure that I'm standing in the right line. Second thought for us, once we've done that, and by the way, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that today. Some of us are gonna, gonna make a decision to get back in the right line. Some of us have, have made that decision in the past, but, but if we were honest with ourselves right now, we'd go, you know what, I'm probably not. My hope is not anchored in Christ. We're gonna have a chance to, to do, do business with God and to make that decision today. But, but once we've done that, the second thing we have to do is speak hope into the people around us. Speak hope into the people around us. Can, can you think of a time when someone spoke hope into your life? into your circumstances. You remember how encouraging that was? Happened for me just this week. I was having lunch with a guy. Actually, he's a Cleveland Indians fan, and we had made a bet that one of us would buy each other lunch, uh, you know, and so he was buying me lunch. It was awesome. Uh, but, but as we were meeting, he's an old friend, and we hadn't connected in a long time, so it was just an excuse for us to, to reconnect. And, and in the middle of our lunch, he said, can I interrupt you? I just wanna say something. And I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or if he had planned on saying it, before, but he said, I just wanna encourage you. I'm so excited about where Seacoast is right now. I'm so excited about the future. You're doing a good job leading. And it was just, he just spoke some things that honestly they were like 
cold water on a hot day. It was like, man, I am so glad that he didn't just think those things, but he actually said them. He actually spoke them because they were so encouraging to me. And, and, and the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue can bring death or it can bring life. There's a lot of power in the words that we speak. Yeah, this is the, the experiment that I want us to go on in December. This is what I would love to challenge you and challenge us as a church that as we go through this month, and maybe it will go beyond that, but at least for the month of December, I'm gonna choose to use the tongue to speak hope, to speak life. You know, there's plenty of people speaking death right now. There's plenty of people commenting on, so we, we don't need to hear anything else about your opinion about the election. Thank you, it matters, all of us do. Let's just speak hope. Let's just speak life. That we're gonna be people that, if it doesn't line up with scripture, if it's not gonna bring healing, if it's not gonna bring life, I'm just not gonna, I'm just not gonna say it. Speak words of hope wherever you go. Look at this next verse. It says, let most of the things that you say be good. Actually, no, that's not what it says, does it? In fact, why don't we read this verse out loud? Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. That is powerful. Let everything that you say be good, be helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. That's the goal. That's what we wanna do. We wanna re-gift hope by speaking hope. What if we just committed, you, know, you talk about fasting, people fast different things. What if we just fasted negativity? and fasted complaining. As we think about what we're gonna post on social media or the words we're gonna say to our family or the people at the workplace, the filter is, is this gonna speak hope? And if it is, I'll say it. If it isn't, I'm just gonna hold my tongue and see what happens. See if people don't start acting differently around you. So many of you do this well. Think about Mr. D, Colin Davis. He's been serving in Kids Coast for some 18 years now, just speaking hope into our kids into the next generation, just saying, man, God's got a plan for you and, 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 and just encouraging and speaking hope into their lives. Think about April Kemp over at the Johns Island campus. She's just killing it, financial peace, table leader, doing a great job speaking hope into the finances of the people at her table. I heard about Joe Adams up at the Asheville campus who does homeless ministry every Sunday morning. Then he goes home, takes a shower. Thank you, Joe, for taking a shower. And then he comes and comes, does church but he speaks hope into homeless people's lives, to people who need to know that, man, the future can, can be better. He, he does that day in, day out. I ran into Marsha Gordine, uh, who goes to the Somerville campus this week. I was leaving the gas station and walking to my car, and she was like, Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh. I was like, what's going on? What do I have in my, everything's cool. Okay, what's up? She's like, I just gotta tell you, I love Seacoast Somerville. I've been going there for about a year now and God has changed my life and I love the campus and it was just, she's speaking hope. I'm so glad that she took the time to say it, to speak it out loud. Friends, we have a community around us that needs to hear this message, needs to hear that there is a trustworthy place that they can, they can put their hope in. That's why I love where we are as a church that we're continuing to, to, to have faith and hope for the future. We're gonna build a worship center that seats more people so that you don't have to stand up where you are, you don't have to search for a seat. 
And so many of us are just gonna speak hope into the future with our finances. In two weeks, we're gonna be doing a, an offering at all of our campuses that just is gonna be a hope offering, a miracle offering, that we're gonna believe that God's gonna continue to build and grow this church. We're gonna speak hope into the future. But friends, you are crucial to the strategy of Jesus. People are dying, literally, for somebody to give them hope. What if each of us dedicated ourselves to being the voice of hope, to, to teaching others how to be the voice of hope, and whether that's, again, in our workplace or in our family or in our, in our social media. In fact, if you post something that's hopeful, use the hashtag, regift hope. We're just gonna regift hope into the, the community and speak hope into the lives of the people around us. And when they happen to stop you and ask you, hey, why, why are you being so encouraging to me? We can follow 1 Peter 3.15, the advice that he gave us. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, if you speak hope enough, the door's gonna open for you to share your faith in Christ or maybe give an invitation to a Christmas Eve service where we're gonna talk about the hope that we have in Jesus. But if we will commit to speaking hope, we're gonna earn the right to tell people why. Let's speak hope in the lives of the people around us. As we close, I wanna take you back to Wrigley Field. We watched this game and it's just incredible. You know, we had the time of our lives. And at the end of the game, Jason and I went down by the netting, uh, by home plate, and we were just taking pictures and just soaking in the experience. And this sports broadcaster who was doing kind of post-game interviews on the field walks over to us at the net and he says, hey, what are you guys doing after the game? Like, well, I don't know, we don't have any plans, why? And, and he, he hands us a ticket and he says, I wanna invite you to come to the after party. Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, the media and the Cubs uh, staff are doing an after party right down the street and I'm not gonna be able to make it because I'm tied up, but I'd love to re-gift you. He didn't say it, but he gave us, I promise you, 2016 World Series post-game party. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is too good to be true. Like, we have had the time of our lives. God loves me. I don't know if you know that or not, but I just choose to believe that, all right? And he loves you too. If, if, I could go off on that, but if you don't believe that God loves you, he's crazy about you. And I'm not saying he orchestrated all these things, but I'm saying I kind of think he might have. But, but I got a ticket to the after party. And, and here's the truth. There's a reason to have hope for here. God wants us to live life and life abundantly. He wants us to enjoy the time we have here and to make a difference while we're here. But at the end of the day, there's an after party and there's a ticket with your name on it. All you have to do is have faith in Christ that he's, he's promised us. That's why we can have hope. We can have hope even in, in light of, of death, even in light of loss. Maybe some of us are facing tragic loss during this season and we can have hope because our hope is in the one who overcame death. Our hope is in the one who's no longer in the grave and he promises us, John three sixteen, one of the most recognizable verses in the Bible, that if we will believe in Jesus, we can have life eternal, life everlasting. That's the hope that we have. Would you bow as we pray? God, I am so grateful Lord, that we don't just have to live on optimism, that we don't have to live in wishful thinking. God, that we can have hope 
a confident assurance in you. We don't have to be hopeful about our own ability to get it right, but we can have hope in you. God, we wanna place our trust and place our hope in you. You know, as we continue to pray here and at the campus, I just wanna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for kind of a moment of privacy. It's between you and God, but I feel like we're at a moment right now for some of us. We just need to make a, a decision to put our hope in Christ. Maybe you've done that sometime in the past, but if you were just being real honest about where you are today and about where your hope is anchored today, you go, man, I think, I think my hope has been in something that's gonna leave me disappointed. Some of us have never put our hope in Christ. And we're gonna do it today for the first time. But regardless, if you're here today or you're at one of the campuses, say, today I wanna put my hope in Christ. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I do want you to, 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 to draw a line in the sand and to say, today I'm gonna make that choice. So if that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm gonna start to my right, your left, uh, here on the floor. If you just say, I'm putting my hope in Christ today. I'm doing it. I wanna raise my hand. Thank you, that's awesome. A lot of people just raising their hands. Middle section here, just raising your hand. Today, I'm putting my hope in Christ. Putting my hope in Christ. Awesome, awesome. Here on my left and your right, if you just wanna say that, I'm putting my hope in Christ, just raise your hand. That's so cool, amazing. Up in the balconies, if that's you, just raise your hand. I see a lot of hands in the balconies. Just putting my hope in Christ. At the campuses, just raise your hand. Campus pastor is gonna help lead you through a prayer. I just wanna pray for you. God, I, I, I hope and I know that you hear the hearts and the cries of your people. And God, as we raise our hands, we're saying, God, we wanna put our hope in you. We wanna put our trust and our faith in you. And we may not have it all figured out or know all the answers, but today we're saying we put our faith and our hope in Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that while we have fallen short, you haven't that you've lived a perfect and sinless life and that you died on a cross and that you overcame death. And today we anchor ourselves, we align ourselves in that hope. And I thank you, Lord, for the salvation that comes with that. You said anyone who would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord would be saved. So God, I thank you and we celebrate those that have done that today. Lord, now let us be a church that is a voice of hope into our communities. Let us be a people who would speak that hope as loudly and as often as we can because we are so confident in what you've done for us that we're not gonna keep it to ourselves. We're gonna give it away and re-gift it into our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.